Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day, welcome to the show. It's better than yesterday. Osher Ginsburg here since 2013 every week, just trying to make it better than yesterday. That's what we're here to do. I'm Osher. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a, a dad. I'm a, a stepdad. I'm a, what am I today? I'm a probably inappropriate use of zip tie electrician with a extension cable. Oh, and I build a water pump out of an old bicycle trainer because the grey water that we save from the bathtub is at the bottom of the hill and the wicking beds are at the top of the hill. I could carry them up bucket at a time, but where's the fun in that? Look, it's 2024 and over the last few years, I have brought you an annual episode based around ideas. It started with 20 ideas for 2020. They were all basically based around possibility. They're just ideas that I have. It's just, it's just simply, it's just a different way of looking at things, looking at the world, because I'm fascinated, essentially, by possibility. I think possibility is a, a very important thing to cultivate and a very important thing to have in your head. I'm fascinated by creativity, by novel combinations of pre-existing ideas, seeing ways that things uh, that we might not have thought of, solutions that already exist in combination with problems that we already have existing, oh, did not believe that would work here. And that's an interesting outcome, isn't it? So yeah, started with 20 ideas for 2020. It was a very quick list. It's grown a lot since then. So I've been doing six a week or so. So you can find the last couple. Today, we're going from idea number 14. So I present to you 24 ideas for 2024. This is idea number 14. Bring the Australian insurance sector out of the dark ages when it comes to assessing the risk of insuring a person who's got a history of episodic mental ill health. It's all well and good to say, hey, speak up or get help or are you okay today? However, if it ends up making your life insurance premiums unrealistic or altogether prevents you from qualifying for insurance. According to Beyond Blue, this fact prevents people from seeking help. And that is horrible. 
It's absolutely ridiculous when you think about it, that a person who might have a period of mental ill health when they were younger, what's an example, uh, say a person who was affected by an eating disorder in their teens, it might've gotten really bad. There might've been suicidality around it when they were young. They underwent treatment, they recovered really well. They never thought about that time in their life again. They went on to live a fantastic life. They stayed super healthy. Now they're in their mid thirties, they have a young family, they wanna make sure their kids will be looked after. That incident in their teens can be counted against them. It's an unfair stigma and completely ignores the reality that with treatment and with ongoing maintenance, people can live rich, fulfilling lives with a diagnosis of a mental illness and even sometimes recover to a point where their risk of relapse is vanishingly low. Not with all diagnoses, but with a vast amount of diagnoses, it is episodic. And at one point, yes, it might've been acute, I think it might be something similar to, I don't know, recovering from a physical trauma. It, you had a bad accident, you needed some surgery to restore mobility in your, on your arm or your hand or something. You might notice it from time to time, but largely it doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect your ability to work, to laugh, to eat, to cook, to be with your kids or to pay your fucking insurance premiums. So from what I understand, there's only a few major underwriters who call all the shots around the world for this stuff and every insurance company other than that, is that they're essentially like a reseller or a distributor of these policies, like everybody's underwritten by somebody else. Insurance companies seem to be very focused on the facts when it comes to who's at fault when you're trying to claim on a bingle in the car park. So how about we get insurance companies focused on the facts around outcomes for people who are actively managing a mental illness diagnosis? It's a fact that people with well-managed type two diabetes can get life insurance there really shouldn't be any difference between what I'm talking about and that. You've shown your hand, make it happen. 24 ideas for 2024, idea number 15, push the nation building button on fiber to the premises. The story of how the NBN came to be will either end up a hot new Australian drama on Stan or a true crime podcast or possibly both. It didn't happen. And as a nation, everywhere, we're paying the price. Putting high-speed internet fiber to the premises has been shown to have an enormous impact on productivity when it comes to GDP. In the case of an OECD country, the growth rate of that has been linked to a 0.03 increase of GDP. Uh, based on most recent figures in Australia, point zero three of our GDP is around $770 million. FTTP networks aren't cheap to build, but $770 million, that's a lot of money. And that figure, when you put on top of all the economic benefits coming, looks like it could be worth exploring, I reckon. And look, when it comes to remote work, we know it's possible. We also know it isn't for everyone all the time, a mix of on-site and remote work seems to be achievable and for some people preferable. I love sitting in this office, I love cranking out work. And while I do that, after a while, I miss the serendipity that happens when I'm in the same room as the people I'm collaborating with. It makes projects explode and jump forward quite quickly. And I do a mix of both. We're looking at having green energy innovation hubs in Newcastle, in, in Rockhampton. FTTP tech hubs are entirely possible. You want to retain the best engineering talent in the country? Goodbye Macquarie Park, hello Magnetic Island. Pfft. I'm not saying that 
we are where we are because of vested interests influencing public and political opinion away from the Labor government's proposed FTTP rollout in the mid-2000s. I'm not saying that at all. However, the business models of certain vested interests these days are far more dependent on subscription to streaming services in high definition. Perhaps if this idea were pushed again, we might see support in places we haven't seen it before. What do you think? 24 ideas for 2024, number 16. Let's make it so that we all get to leave school with a solid understanding of the scientific method and its inbuilt self-correcting mechanisms. Not only that, but we all get taught in school what the Downs-Thompson paradox is. Don't worry, I had to look it up as well. Here it is. The Downs-Thompson paradox states that the average speed of car traffic on a road network tends to be equal to the average door-to-door -door speed of equivalent journeys taken by public transport or the next best alternative. Now, what this paradox does is essentially contradict the intuitive assumption that the best way to reduce congestion and speed up travel times for commuters is by adding more lanes to a highway. Look, the short version is that while we might believe that adding more lanes to a road will make the traffic better, eventually those extra lanes stop being effective. And when I lived in America, I lived on the wrong side of a freeway known as the 405. Now, the 405 freeway in Los Angeles at one point is a whopping 14 lanes wide in each direction. That's 28 lanes of traffic. It's a freeway which has a speed limit of around about 90, 100 kilometers an hour. And this would go from oh, a standstill to a crawl, which would absolutely really validate the punchline to the famous joke about that freeway all too often. Why do they call it the 405? Because it takes around four or five hours to get there. It's so important that we remember this now. Why? Because when a potential incoming government, state government, federal government, just tickles our perenniums with the promises of bigger roads, better connections, we absolutely have to understand that adding capacity to an already existing road only alleviates the problem for a short amount of time. So before we get all super excited about a new bridge or a new tunnel or a new overpass, let's come to acceptance that the money invested in something like that is far better spent and with a far greater long-term payoff than if it's invested in reliable, clean, safe, integrated public transport. Bus arrives as the train gets there, things, timetables move together. Initiatives around town planning that promote a pedestrian outlook. That is, you can get a lot of your day done or your errands, etc., by walking from where you live. Uh, dedicated and separate cycling infrastructure. We're talking a lot about cycling on this trip. And disincentives for taking a car into the city. You can do that either by narrowing lanes or a congestion charge or, or both. Now, it's not because I love bicycles and I also love being able to walk everywhere. Yes, I do both of those things. Yes, I like both those things. But it is also a very cost-effective way to run a city. It has many upsides around community cohesion as well because you actually see other people and you're not stuck in your car all the time. Speaking of tunnels, 24 ideas for 2024. This is idea number 17. If we're going to teach safe cycling in schools, let's teach safe merging. It's a zipper. 
That's all there is to it. If you're coming into the lane, you match the speed of the destination lane. If you're in the destination lane, be aware you're gonna to need to allow a car in front or behind. If the freeway speed is 100 and you're going from Brisbane to the Goldie, and that's about 80, 100 k's, and you're leaving three seconds between cars like a good driver that you are, that's about 90 meters of space. So if you need to give up a half of that to let someone come in, make sure the car in front can merge properly, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna to get to wet and wild exactly 1.5 seconds later, and you're gonna do it safely. It's gonna be okay. A new tunnel opened in Sydney at the end of 2023, and on the first morning of operation, the thing ground to a halt because people don't know how to merge. It's not an arm wrestle. You go, I go, he goes, she goes. We all get there together. Now, if you think that pushing one car space in front while in heavy traffic is gonna get you where you're gonna go sooner, I don't know if I can help you. It's really not until you spend time driving in a country where people are really good at merging that you realize how terrible we are at merging in Australia. We are. If you're having to stop at the pointy bit of an on-ramp while traffic is hooning past at 110 kilometers an hour, perhaps the freeway isn't the right place for you just yet. Maybe go to do a few more hours of practice then and come back and, and give it another go. And if you're the person who refuses to let anyone in because if the stranger gets in front of you, it's like it's a personal attack like they just insulted your mother. You may want to get around a bit of mindfulness breathing behind the wheel, feel your feet and your socks, that sort of thing. If you see Form 1 Lane on a sign up ahead and in your brain you hear Mel Gibson saying, hold, hold, hold. Perhaps, I don't know, try to imagine that the, the person trying to get into your lane, or let's be honest, it's you'll be in the lane that's ending because you think, oh my God, what a genius idea. I'll sneak up and try to get a few spots up. Just try to imagine the person in the car that's next to you, I don't know, they're trying to transport the emergency replacement cake for their daughter's wedding because it got knocked over by the dog and it's the most important day of their lives and they just need to drive a little carefully, just give them some space, everything's going to be fine. Let's do that. 24 ideas for 2024, idea number 18. Let's make all televised political debates, this includes question time, which is televised. Let's make all of these debates run strictly to the format of Rappaport's rules. Now, if you've never heard, if you've never heard of Rappaport's rules, that's okay. I didn't know what they were before I, uh, I learned them, uh, a version of them when I was at business school about 10 years ago when I was in Amsterdam. So I was about 40 when I found out about them, so it's okay. Rappaport's rules are a four-step process designed to not only de-escalate uh, a confrontation about a touchy subject, but to advance discussion about a subject or an idea which is under critique. Not the person holding the idea, but the idea itself. There's four steps. Step one, start with the steel man. To steel man an argument is to essentially repeat your opponent's argument back to them in the strongest way you possibly can. Mentioning the key points that you heard, clearly identifying the values at the core of the argument. I see that not wasting money is really important to you. I get that. So for example, it's, a, it's an argument about spending. So clearly identifying the values at the core of the argument, trying if you can to make their argument better for them and doing so without bias or distorting their argument or being passive aggressive or putting any snark in it whatsoever. You wanna do this so well that when, when you're done, when you say, did I get that right? They'll say, 
you know what, I wish I put it that way. So that's step one. Step two, talk about anything that you've learned from the way they put their argument. Any, anything, for example, you're, you're clearly really passionate about this. You're, you're really well-researched. You've got great attention to detail. I can see this is really important to you. Uh, the third step, point out the parts where you already agree as much as possible. I see that wasteful spending is a real problem for you. You know what? I feel exactly the same way. We absolutely agree on that. Nothing makes me more angry. I totally get it. Often when I'm engaging people in the cranky pants comments section, for example, when exa exactly that, when people bring up how much money was spent on the voice referendum, I generally write something along the lines of, it's clear to me that you absolutely love your country and I can see that wasteful spending is a problem. I truly believe that we share that. I couldn't love my country more and I get really annoyed by ineffective government spending. It shits me to tears. We see eye to eye on that. Uh, step four only then offer a critique or any kind of refutation of what's been put to you. Hopefully, there's some trust and respect there now, and that critique will hopefully be seen as a well-intended effort to improve on whatever it is you're trying to achieve. You can uh, sometimes ask questions at this point, questions that are looking for clarity or maybe even asking how the idea might be improved or have more meaning to more people. This only comes with a tiny little bit of bad news and the bad news is that it would make political highlight reels a little less exciting. You might miss out on things like Julia Gillard's misogyny speech and you probably wouldn't see things like the all-time classic when Dr. John Hewson asked our Prime Minister Paul Keating, if you're so confident, why don't you call an early election? And Paul Keating stood up and he said, mate, because I want to do you slowly. <laughs> yeah, as far as those things are, they're fun. Not very productive though. Not the Julie Gillard part, the Paul Keating part. So yeah, a little bit less of that and a bit more of a framework to hopefully help our political system achieve slightly more bipartisan outcomes for things that are good for all of us, not just those who voted for the people who are currently in power. I feel, I guess it also sets up a way that hopefully good ideas can get made better and terrible ideas held up to the light in a way that we can all have a bloody good look at them and go, is that what you're saying? I'm just making sure that I've got, this is your idea. This right here. Like, not with that kind of snark in my voice, but you know what I'm saying. Like, but could you imagine, for example, if an opposition during step one of this, the opposition leader stood up and said, let me just get this straight. And then they made a far better argument with a far better idea for the policy from that ideological perspective than the party in power. You wouldn't need to skewer the other team when you're able to so obviously do their job better for them. It could be a way to try to get the parliament in Australia to actually work for all of us because, look, we all voted all of them in and their job is to run the place for all of us. I think we have in some ways largely forgotten that if you win a federal election, the job is to govern for everybody not just the ones who got you in and you hope will get you in again. That's the job. 
that's the gig. That's it for me today. I'll be back next week for the last lot of ideas for 2024. Also some more big lessons from last year. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Let me know what you reckon. Uh, all the contact details are in the show notes. There's also details about the newsletter. Upcoming live gigs, February 22nd. We're doing a live show, two guests, one ticket. Uh, the Malthouse Theatre, February 22nd. And TNN, and it in returns. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. Thanks so much to everyone that helped me make this episode. Andy Ma on audio and video post. Abby Benno, our producer. Toe Hyder on the music. Ben and Monica for keeping the lights on OGTV. Thanks for being a part of this. Let me know what you reckon. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm here in my office in a pair of shorts. <laughs> See you Monday. Thanks for being a part of it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.